We're, we're in week three of our series called Collision Course. Uh, I was looking at conflict between families and neighbors and people, and I came upon a story in Manchester, England. Uh, there were these two families who lived really close to each other. I'll show you a picture. Uh, they lived really close to each other, and they kept extending their houses. You could see they were adding on to their houses. And one of the families built a fence. Uh, well, the other family believed that they had crossed the dividing line, and they had built the fence on their property. And so they argued about this, and they tried to figure out what, what could happen. And so while the one family was gone on holiday, the other family, while they were gone on vacation, the other family tore down the wall. Uh, this led to about five years of being in court, and they could never come to an agreement. And, and the one family lost, the one family who, who tore down the wall ended up losing in court, and they said, this has cost us everything. They're now having to sell their house to pay lawyer fees. They have to pay the lawyer fees for the other family. And, and what, what struck me is just the cost of conflict. Right At some point in those five years, could they not have come together and figured something out? That it went on so long that this family says, look, it, it's cost us our time, our energy, our money. And we literally, it is costing us everything. We are losing our house because of conflict. And so I don't think it's too different for us. I think conflict is costly. I think unresolved conflict costs even more. Uh, conflict is one of those things that if not handled correctly, uh, it really can make us feel like we've lost everything, that we've lost everything. And so we, we said early on in this series, look, you could have it all, right? You could have the nice home and the nice car. You could have the success you want. But if you are not at peace with people, if there is conflict in your relationships, you are losing. You're, it doesn't matter what else you have. If you are at conflict with people, you are losing. And so how do we figure out how to navigate conflict? Because I've told you, you are going to be in conflict. You're, you're going to have difficulties with your kids, with your parents, with spouse, where you work. You will be in conflict. And so how do we do better at navigating conflict? If conflict is inevitable, well, then we have to figure out how to better deal with it. How do we disagree? Well, I've told you Romans 12, 18 is the scripture I would encourage you to memorize. Uh, it's going to be on the screen. I'll read it to you now. If you don't own a Bible, uh, there's one around you. We'd love for you to take that. That's our, our gift to you. Uh, but, but if you have a Bible with you, or if you have a smartphone and you're using version, I would highlight this. I, I would put this somewhere where you could see it often. It says this, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone, right? We've said, look, there might be some situations where maybe it's not possible. Maybe the other person isn't willing to meet you halfway. Maybe they aren't willing to do anything to help bring peace. But as far as it depends on you, whatever you can do to be at peace with people, you have to do your part. So are, are you doing, have you done all you can to be at peace with those you're in conflict with? And, I, and I've told you, okay, so here's some things we need to do. Uh, the first one is to take the first step, and this is often the hardest, right? This is often the hardest, especially when you feel like someone else has done more, that it's not necessarily your fault, but if you're going to begin to deal with conflict, if you're going to seek peace, you have to begin to take the first step, and then you have to own your part. I wonder, and you don't have to raise your hand, but I wonder how many of you took it serious last week, and you went to someone, and you said, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. 
that that is going to be the first step at opening a door to begin to reconcile your differences with people. To find peace with someone is to acknowledge that you've done wrong. Maybe it's just a small part, but that you have made a mistake. You have done wrong. Are you willing to go to them and say, I'm sorry. And we looked at the, the good way to apologize, the, the seven A's of confession. I'm not going to go through that, but you can research that. The seven A's of confession. There's a good and a bad way to apologize. And we don't always do it very well. Uh, but, but did you take that step? Did you take the first step and did you go and say, I'm sorry? And then you own your part. And then you begin to listen, right? You, you're quick to listen and you're slow to speak and you're slow to become angry. Are you, are you listening to the hurt of the other person? And in the midst of all of the conflict, are you choosing your words wisely? You will not find peace if you are belittling someone, if you're degrading someone, if you're hurting someone. There will not be peace in the midst of conflict if you're not choosing your words wisely. And then at the end, I said, you begin to work towards forgiveness and reconciliation. And and that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to spend some time on not only asking for forgiveness, but but then what does it look like for us to forgive people? What what does it look like for us to be people of integrity, people of being humble and being, having some humility to our lives where we're willing to say, it's okay. It's okay. So I want want to give you a couple things. So why should we do this? Why why do we want to be people who forgive? Uh, What forgiveness isn't and what it is, and then how to really forgive. I want to pray once more just for this uh, portion because I know how hard forgiveness is. And I know even right now, as I begin to talk about that, there is a stirring for many of us, myself included, when you begin to think of a person who you don't think deserves forgiveness. And so as we begin to do this, there's going to be this tension that begins to, to well up in you. And so I'm going to pray for us as we uh, continue in this, this message. God, we, we need your help. We need your grace as we talk about being, being people who forgive. Uh, would you help us to do this? We, we are not people who naturally want to forgive. And so, Lord, it's by your grace that I think we'll be able to do this. And so I pray for my friends here today who are thinking about that person right now. They're thinking about that situation Would you help them begin to believe that forgiveness can change things and that there is hope when we begin to forgive? I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I do. I think forgiveness is one of the things that's the hardest to do. Like we might even know we need to do it, but we don't want to do it. Like we know there's things in our lives that are good for us, like exercise. I I know exercise is good for me and I, I set a plan to exercise and I know what time I need to get up and I but I don't always do it, even though I know it's really good for me. And, and the way you eat and, and the way you take care of yourself, we all know the things we ought to do. But we don't always do it. And so I think that it's true with forgiveness. We know we need to forgive people. We know what happens when we forgive people. But, but really, there's times where we don't want to do it. And then there's times where you think you've forgiven someone. So you, you might even ask yourself, how do I know if I've really forgiven that person? I mean, I think I have, but then there's these moments. How how do I know if I've really forgiven them? And so we're going to look at that. And the reason I I think it's hard is because there's this pain, right? If there wasn't pain, it wouldn't be hard. But there's a pain that happens in our lives and it makes it hard for us to forgive. And if forgiveness was easy or if the steps to forgiveness were easy and obvious and simple, then we wouldn't really struggle with it. But there's bitterness and there's resentment and there's other things that creep in. And so it is hard. You get that? I, as we move forward, I want you to understand that I know that what I'm going to talk about today is hard. It may even seem impossible, but, but I think this is what we are supposed to 
do. Ken Sandy, who I've talked about a little bit, he wrote a book called Peacemaker. I would encourage you, especially if you're in the midst of really deep uh, conflict, I would encourage you to, to look at that book, Ken Sandy, Peacemaker. He says this, forgiveness is the powerful act that opens up the possibility of a relationship being fully healed from the pain of conflict. Let me say that again. Forgiveness is the powerful act that opens up the possibility of a relationship being fully healed from the pain of conflict. If you want there to be peace, if you want there to be healing in your relationships, forgiveness is going to be that thing that opens up the possibility of that happening. And so, as I said before, Romans 12, 18, if it's possible, if it's possible, as much as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And so part of that is we have to figure out what it looks like to forgive. So the first question, why should we be people who forgive? I know not all of you here would maybe even say you're a Christian. Maybe you're investigating and trying to figure out what that that looks like. But if you are, if you are a follower of Jesus, I think there is a different expectation for you. I think all of us are able to, to move in that way and to forgive. But if you are a follower of Jesus, if you call yourself a Christian, I think it is a mandate for us that we be people who forgive. And there's a direct correlation between God's forgiveness in our lives and our forgiveness towards other people. And I don't know if you know this, but the idea of forgiveness in Christianity is really different than other religions. Uh, we had a workshop just the last couple of days and we were looking at Islam and the Muslims that we know and in our neighborhood and how to be a good neighbor. And we talked about this idea in their faith. They just want to do enough good things for Allah to, to forgive them, to, for Allah to allow them in. They just have to do enough good things. Their good things have to outweigh their bad things. And I don't know about you, but I don't know if I can do enough good things. I mean, if I had a scale, I don't know. If I'm always trying to keep track of, oh, that was bad and now I gotta do good. I mean, it's overwhelming to try and begin to think about that. And then forgiveness towards one another, that isn't necessarily something they talk about. And that's not uncommon, even if maybe you're an unbeliever, if you would say you're an atheist or if you're an agnostic or if you're Buddhist or there, there's all these other things, but the idea of being forgiven by God is a radical type of teaching. And so as Christians, we believe that we've been forgiven for the wrongs that we've done. And the reason for that is because of the love of God, that, that he sends Jesus and the actions of Jesus on the cross bring healing to us It's through these actions on the cross that sin is defeated and opens up a way for us to be reconciled back to God. And so for Christians, forgiveness is all about what we believe. I mean, this is the core. This is one of the fundamental pieces of of who we are is the idea of forgiveness. And this idea that there's nothing we can do to earn it. This won't be on the screen, but Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says this. It is by grace through faith that you've been saved. It's by grace, this free gift that we have faith in. That is what reconciles us back to God and nothing else. This little baby rider on Thursday when she was laying in her, her hospital bed, lethargic and, and trying to figure out what was going on, and they, they figured out she, she had had a, a cyst on her brainstem that was pushing on that. And it was filling back up with, with blood and, and fluid, and so they were needing to get it out, but they didn't know all of this and what was going on. And so... The neurologist, probably one of the smartest people in the, the building, uh, w- was there with, with baby Ryder. 
don't know if you've been in the hospital much, but my, my um, relationship with the hospital or the, the times I've been there, often it's like, okay, we'll get a test scheduled and we'll send someone up and the baby will go down or let me get a nurse. And this neurologist in this moment just scoops Ryder up and takes baby Ryder in his arms and carries her down to the place to get the test done. And I, and I love this picture because there's absolutely nothing Ryder can do right now. There's nothing. I mean, Ryder is completely dependent on someone else for her well-being, for her health, for her to be healed. She is completely relying on someone else. And the same is true for you and me. We are completely relying on God. There's nothing we can do to receive the forgiveness but believe, but believe to confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, to believe in our heart. That, that is what saves us to believe what God has done for us. And so I don't know if you believe that, like you you have to start there for many of us as as Christians, like that is the fundamental piece right there. And then if we believe that, and I've told you this, loved people love people. We have been deeply loved by God. And if we believe that, if we really have been deeply loved by God, then our response is to love other people. Well, you could say the same thing about forgiveness. Forgiven people forgive people. If you have been deeply forgiven and you believe that God has has wiped those things clean, then our response should be to forgive others. So I believe Christians should be some of the most uh, loving people, that, that Christians should be some of the most forgiving people. And as I say this, it is an outrageously high standard. And this is the standard. Paul says this in Ephesians 4.32, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. And think about that. Paul is saying, just as God has forgiven you, forgive one another. That in proportion, so whatever you believe God has forgiven you in proportion, then, then do that to someone else. Or to the degree, that's what, what he's saying. Paul's saying, in the degree that you have been forgiven, then you forgive. And so if we feel like we and believe that we've been forgiven completely, And our response is to forgive completely as well. And this is an outrageously high standard. This is a radical way of living. It's not normal. This isn't the human nature. But this, as followers of Jesus, is what we have been called to. And so I believe that, that, as I said, that we should be some of the most forgiving people because we have been forgiven. It's hard. It's hard because it is this outrageously high standard that we are to forgive as God has forgiven us. So what, is, what, what forgiveness isn't, right? We, we get confused sometimes. And so this is one of them. It's not a feeling. For forgiveness isn't simply a feeling because there's times where I don't feel like forgiving someone. I don't want to forgive someone. It doesn't feel good to just let, feel like I'm letting them go free. They hurt me. I mean, they've said things about me. They've gone behind my back. They've lied to me. I can't trust them. They, and so we, we, we wrestle with these things. And so we say, look, I, I just don't know if I can, I don't feel like I can forgive them. Forgiveness is not a feeling. Forgiveness is a choice. For, forgiveness actually is a series of choices that we have to make if we are going to forgive someone. And so we may feel unable to forgive. And so we begin to ask God to help us to forgive. It's not forgetting so forgiving isn't simply forgetting. 
Uh, forgiving, is a- forgiving is actually an action. Uh, I-, I wish there was a pill I could give you. I know many of you have been hurt tremendously by the people who love you. Like the pain is so real steel today. And I wish, I wish I could give you a pill. I wish I could give you something that would just take it all away, but there is not. And so I think what we have to understand is how we remember. So Isaiah 43, 25, uh, this is about the faithfulness of God while Israel is still being unfaithful to him. He says this, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. I don't think God is saying that he can't remember. He's not simply saying, I just can't remember what you did to me. I just can't bring it back into my memory. What he is saying is I am choosing not to recall it anymore. I'm not going to think about it anymore. I will not remember it. And so Ken Sandy, again, he says this, forgiveness isn't a matter of whether we forget, but how we remember. And so when you have forgiven and you begin to remember, what happens? Does bitterness come back in? Does revenge creep in? Is there a, I hope they get what's coming to them, right? So you, you may remember at times. You remember the, the hurt that is, has happened, but how, what do you do when you begin to remember? It's not simply about forgetting. And then I think this next one is maybe one of the most important. And this is where I have often failed when it comes to forgiveness, and that is forgiveness isn't excusing. Man, there is many times, and I'm looking back in my life as a child and just some family dynamics, that I excused some things that happened. That I excused them. Well, it was difficult. They were having a difficult time in their life. They were her. And so we make excuses for people. We don't realize that what they had done was really wrong. And so excusing says, it's okay what you did to me. And it's not. It's not. It's saying what you did really wasn't wrong or you couldn't help it. So again, we say things like he didn't mean it or he's just tired or she's had a bad day and just took it out on me. See, true forgiveness is the opposite of excusing. It's the opposite of excusing. A true forgiveness says what you did was wrong. We both know it. We both acknowledge it. But we choose to forgive those actions, those attitudes, those words. We, we, we do not excuse the wrong that has been done towards us. If we excuse, there's really no need for forgiveness because has anything really been done wrong? And so the need for forgiveness in itself says that the other person was wrong for what they did and it's inexcusable. So it's not a feeling, it's not forgetting, and it's not excusing. So what is it? Well, I think it's this radical decision to not hold an offense against the offender. That I'm no longer going to hold the offense against them. Uh, When the New Testament was written, it was written in Greek. And it's been translated into English. And the the word forgiveness in Greek means to release from bondage or imprisonment. To let go. And so often when we get upset, we we don't want to do that. We want to punish. We want revenge. Uh, we, we looked at Romans 12, 18. We've been looking at that right before that. Paul says, do not repay evil for evil, right? That Because I think Paul is like, look, I know this is gonna be the natural response, 
When someone hurts you, you're going to respond and you're going to, get, going to get back at them. And so that is our human nature. But, but if we understand that forgiveness is no longer about doing that. And so when we hold on to whatever it is that was done, uh, we're not forgiving. Uh, Matthew 18, I want to read this uh, to you and I want you to get the understanding if forgiveness is about bondage, imprisonment, not letting people go, run that through your, your mind as you listen to this. Uh, this is Jesus giving a, a teaching called the parable of the unmerciful servant. Listen to this, starting in verse 21. It says, then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times. Peter's like, look, he keeps doing it. How often do I need to forgive? We're getting close to seven. Do I stop at seven? So this is where he's asking this question. And Jesus answers, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. And you've heard me say this before. He's not saying to keep tally marks, right? He's not saying, all right, 65 times, 70. Okay, we're almost there. what, What Jesus is saying is always forgive. Always forgive. Verse 23 says this. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants as he began to settle a man who owed him 10,000 talents, this would be millions of dollars, was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. Verse 28 says, But... When that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, which would be just a few dollars. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. Sounds familiar. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. So this is a picture of forgiveness. The one has this huge debt that he could never have repaid. And the language is he is let go. When what should have happened is he should have been held, right? He should have been imprisoned. He should have been in bondage. He was wrong, but he's let go. He's forgiven. And then there's the the one who is forgiven goes and he has this small debt that someone else owes him. And what does it say? He grabs him. He doesn't let go. He holds on to him. He imprisons him. And so we we see that forgiveness is to let go, to release, to truly forgive means we no longer hold the offense against them. We no longer punish. We no longer hope they get what is coming to them. We release them. We, We let them go. And in doing this, forgiveness is costly. Forgiveness is costly. Now, there's two ways that we make payments when it comes to forgiveness. We either take payments or we make payments, right? This is Ken Sandy's teaching. We either take payments or we make payments. So we take payments because someone's got to pay for this. And so if you're going to take payments for forgiveness, it means that I'm still going to hold the other person responsible, that they need to pay me back. And the way we do that is I dwell on the wrong. I dwell on the wrong and I often remind them of their actions, That is taking a payment for the one who did the wrong. We're cold and distant. We We don't treat them like we normally would. We don't return a text. We don't return a phone call. We gossip about them. We 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 take a payment by by spreading unkind things about them. 
We take revenge in our heart. We plot how we could hurt them. We rejoice when they get what is coming to them. I mean, they need to pay for what they've done. I've forgiven, but they need to pay for it. And so we take payment from them or we make payments. And this is the radical part of the teaching. We, We make payments. Sometimes this happens quickly and we're able to move on. And and we kind of take what has happened and we begin to ask God to begin to heal us and to help us work through it. Other times the pain is too much and too deep and it takes several payments for you to make. That maybe you're reminded. Like I'm reminded of what that person said to me. And it's in those moments I either take a payment from them and I punish them again or I don't. And when I don't, I'm the one who makes the payment. I make the payment. It means tearing down walls. It means building bridges back to the person who has hurt you. It means kind words over gossip or revenge. We make the payment. And like I said, this is a radical teaching. I don't know if you know this, but Jesus was a radical teacher. That the way of life of following Jesus is a radical way of living life. And this is one of those areas. And so... In doing this, and this is where I I really want you, if you take notes, these are two really important parts. There's two components that we have to look at when we think of forgiveness, and that is the heart component and a transactional opponent. Um, The heart component is the point where we give forgiveness, where, where we, in our mind, we are setting someone free of their wrongdoing. This doesn't mean the other person even asks to be forgiven. Right? They, they, they might not know what they've done to hurt you. They may know and they may not care. But the heart component says, I'm going to still set them free. In my heart, I'm no longer going to retaliate or dwell or have vengeance towards the other person, even though they haven't even asked for it. This is the heart component of forgiveness. There's a Puritan preacher, Thomas Watson. He wrote this, when we strive against all thoughts of revenge, when we will not do our enemies mischief, but wish well to them, Grieve their calamities, pray for them, seek reconciliation with them, and show ourselves ready on all occasions to relieve them. This is gospel forgiving. That this is what it means from the heart to forgive someone. That we get to choose, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. We get to choose to, in our heart, be free to be free of what they've done to us. See, because what happens is we'll be held bondage. We'll be held bondage when we dwell on things, when we want to punish the other person. It hurts us. And so this is an opportunity for healing to first take place, to have an attitude of forgiveness, that we will choose to forgive the other person, that this is not an excuse for abuse. Uh, This is not an excuse or permission for people to hurt us or to walk all over us. And so if you're in an abusive relationship or there's emotional abuse, if there's mental abuse, if they're abusive with their words or physical, it is not giving permission for them to continue to do that. There are consequences, and I'll talk about that in a moment. But the other component is the transactional component. This is the part where it takes both parties. Uh, This is the part where reconciliation begins to take place. This is where you deal with it. This is where the other person acknowledges the wrong that they have done. 
Uh, this is what we talked about week one, where, where Jesus gives the example. If you're in the temple about to worship and you're reminded that someone else has something against you, that you have done something to them, he says to leave your offering and immediately go to them. And, and this is where I talked about how reconciliation even takes precedent over offering and worship. That's how serious this this is. And so this is the transactional piece of forgiveness. This is where the other person asks for it. And so you're on the other side now. Last week, we talked about going and saying you're, you're sorry. Well, what is the response? If you're the one hearing someone else say they're sorry, what happens on your end? What do you begin to do? Because in your heart, maybe you have forgiven already, but this is an opportunity for healing to happen between the two of you, for relationships to be reconciled. And we see God do this. We see God do this. So in Luke 23, 34, this is the end of Jesus's life. Uh, Jesus has been brutally beaten. He's hanging on a cross next to two thieves. He's done no wrong. And these are the words we hear Jesus say in Luke 23, 34. He says this, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. I've read this story several times. I don't remember anyone asked to be forgiven. I don't remember the ones who beat him. I don't remember the ones who put him on the cross at some point saying, Jesus, will you forgive me for what I just did? But Jesus in his heart, as he gives us the example, he prays that the Father would forgive them. It's the heart component. And then we see in Acts 2, 36, 41, the same people who either did nothing to stop it or maybe even participated, some things are happening. Acts 2, 36, 41, it says this, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? What do we need to do to be reconciled back to God? What transaction needs to take place? And Peter replies, Repent, think differently about everything that you've done, and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for, who are, and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their numbers that day, meaning they had been reconciled back to God. You guys who crucified Jesus, there is an opportunity to be forgiven, right? Jesus prays for it. Father, forgive them. His heart is in that, and then there's this transaction that takes place. Those who had done wrong have an opportunity to be reconciled back to God, and the same is true for us. Not only we can be reconciled back to God, but we can be reconciled back to one another. This is the hard part of that. It's the other party has to be willing to acknowledge their wrong. They have to be willing to work through it, to both confess and own up to their mistakes, to both ask for forgiveness and forgive and give forgiveness. And so the hope is that you have forgiven the people who have hurt you. And my hope is that at some point you've been reconciled back to one another, that you've worked through it, you have walked together through the process of asking for forgiveness and giving forgiveness to one another. And sometimes this is really simple. I mean, I had to say I'm sorry this week to my wife. <laughs> 
uh, there were these moments where I did wrong or I said something I, did, I wish I wouldn't have said and I had to ask for forgiveness and it was quick and she forgave me and we moved on, right? That, that happens sometimes quickly, but sometimes the deeper the hurt, the longer the hurt, the longer the reconciliation may be. It doesn't mean that forgiveness hasn't happened. It just means the healing process takes a little longer. It, it means that there's some actions that have to take place, that there's consequences to sin, there's consequences to brokenness. There's consequences when we hurt people. So for instance, if you've stolen money, if someone has stolen money, there is this idea that you would pay it back, right? There's a consequence. Uh, if you steal from me, I, I would love to forgive you, but I would also love to get back what is mine. And so there are consequences. Forgiveness doesn't mean there's no consequences, but even though consequences are real, it doesn't mean that forgiveness hasn't been a part of the story. So, as far as it depends on you, as far as it depends on you, if it's possible, live at peace with everyone. So who do you need to forgive? Who in your, your heart have you not let go? Have you not set free? That you rejoice when things go wrong? That you're, you're figuring out, how do I pay them back? Today would be a great day to set them free to in your heart ask God to help you to no longer hold them responsible, the offense you let go. And then is there maybe a conversation that needs to take place where maybe you say I've forgiven you, that maybe the, the relationship is damaged and there needs to be a conversation and there needs to be some reconciliation where you begin to move through the process of healing. Let me just encourage you, ask for help. You don't have to do this on your own. I'd love to sit with you and begin to, to help that happen, that the process of reconciliation sometimes takes someone from the outside. So ask for help. Ask God to begin to help you to want to move in this direction. It depends on you. A lot of this depends on you. Are you willing? Are you willing to, to be someone because you have been forgiven that you're willing to forgive those who have hurt you. You are on a collision course. There is going to be conflict. People are going to hurt you. You can either set people free when they do, and in setting them free, you set yourself free as well, or you continue to hold the grudge. You continue to not only punish them, but punish yourself. I hope that today you will choose to set people free, and in setting them free, you'll be free as well. Greg's gonna come up and, and close us. Uh, let me pray for us. Father, I, I first am thankful that you have forgiven me, that the wrong that I've done, I could never do good to repay that, that in a moment, because I believe in your grace, you have forgiven me. The transaction took place, Lord, I know through Jesus, and I'm thankful for that, God. I pray for my friends here today who maybe have never taken that step, who have never believed that they could be forgiven, that, that shame doesn't have to be anymore, that regret doesn't have to be anymore, that they could be set free because of you and your grace. I pray first for that, Lord, that they would do that. And then for many of us, there's some situations in our life where we're holding a grudge. The other person may not even know they've hurt us. They don't even know, Lord. But, but would you help us in our heart to begin to set people free? And in doing that, Lord, would you set us free? And then, Lord, for some of the situations, I believe there needs to be some reconciliation, some healing that takes place between relationships. So, Lord, would you give courage 
on that account, Lord, would those of us who have hurt someone else, would we take the first step towards reconciliation? Would you give us the courage and the boldness to do that? Lord, I look forward to seeing relationships healed and whole. I look forward to stories that will come out of this of forgiveness. But God, we can't do this on our own. We need more of your grace to do this. So Lord, would you help us to lead the way? Would you help us to lead the way as people who are forgivers? Praise in Jesus' name.